Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. What a fun episode that we have prepared for you today. That's right. It's all about Knuckles lore again. Knuckles lore part two. No, it's not. That'd be funny, though. It would be funny. Also not something that we would not do. (laughs) (laughs) We totally would do that. But producer Doug's awake and we have to talk about video games again. I know. He did... um angry react our (laughs) knuckles lore episode so i think we gotta learn not to record those kind of episodes when he's waking up it was too late we back to video games well speaking of video games seth what have you been recently playing i have recently been playing a video game that i recently played back in the dark ages when it came out in early access yeah back when you were in like the demo in 2020 well yeah i mean it was in the demo for a long time but we had uh theo from the gallant goblin on and we talked about Baldur's gate uh one two and three back in episode 65 so if you want to listen to our thoughts about Baldur's gate especially since Baldur's gate three just came out uh officially today at the time of recording august 3rd 2023 then you can go back to that episode but that's what i've been recently been playing Baldur's gate three developed and published by larian uh larian studios who also did divinity and divinity 2 it's pretty great they added a bunch of new uh races and classes and And I decided to make uh, an elven rogue because that is generally the class that I start playing with every time that that iteration's available. So like my first class when I played Dragon Age Origins was a elven rogue. And I generally just make an elven rogue who looks vaguely similar. And my first actual D&D character was a human rogue. So I generally like the rogue classes, as any of my DMs who are listening would also acknowledge. So I'm playing an elven rogue, and he is an assassin, and he runs around and stabs people. The game is cool and reminds me a lot of, like, Dragon Age Origins, and also reminds me a lot about like almost like a XCOM type deal except if XCOM was set in the middle ages when combat comes around you have like an action economy based on fifth edition D&D uh so your character gets a move action you get a regular action and you get a um attack you get a bonus action one of the fun things that a rogue gets is they can use some of their abilities that everyone else uses they can use them as bonus actions So they can dash, disengage, and hide as a bonus action. So what I begun to do is on my character's turn, I hide as a bonus action, and then I strike somebody from the shadows, which is an advantage, and thus I get sneak attack. And then I go back in the next round, I hide. If I surprise people, I do even more damage, I think. I think it becomes a crit because I'm an assassin. They added a lot of customization from the original. I'm also playing, there is a a new origin that they added. In the character creation, in the beginning of the game, they have backgrounds and they have origins. And origins are kind of like deeper backgrounds. Like you can have your character background be like an acolyte, but you could also be like the origin, your 
origin is that of one of the NPCs that you can play as. So if you want, if you really like Astorian, who's this vampirish rogue, then you could play as him as a origin. One of the origins is just called Dark Urges because it's kind of a homage to the original Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, where your character was a child of Baal and would occasionally get urges to kill people and eventually becoming a demon known as the Slayer and you would murder everybody. There is the origins in Baldur's Gate 3 called Dark Urges and it is great. I recommend if you're playing through Baldur's Gate 3, if you have some familiarity with the original series, I recommend going Dark Urges as your origin story because it's so funny because your char- there is a narrator that narrates your character's inner monologue and it is just always like so there's a part of the game where there is a person who recently had one of their families killed by a goblin and they're pissed so they run off to where there's a goblin prisoner and levy a crossbow at this goblin to kill them out of anger and your narrator goes and at this moment in time you think about the crossbow bolt going into the goblin's mouth and whether or not the goblin will taste metal before it dies and you can actually tell people as a dialogue option like your npc companions you could tell them oh i have all these urges that i need to kill something because you're also going through a whole tadpole situation with the mind flare so you also have no memories if you play dark urges everyone else has their memories but you don't have your memories so you're wandering around with no memories and urges to kill everybody and everyone else is like no that's that's not what we're experiencing (laughs) you're experiencing something entirely else and we don't know why but you're apparently in charge of us psychopath uh so definitely recommend uh dark origin story uh origins for your uh, baldur's gate 3 iteration i also i enjoyed watching the size increase so the game as a demo took up 79 gigabytes of data when it refreshed at 11 o'clock and they deployed the actual game it was 130 yeah i heard it i heard it was pretty pretty chonky literally almost doubled in size yeah and i heard that you couldn't preload it could not preload it no anyway so zach what have you been playing seth recently i've been playing grimace's birthday uh so back in june of 2023 it was in fact grimace's birthday the big purple man from mcdonald's see like 40 according to mcdonald's promotion he is 52 years old 52 what what the june of like the 52nd why didn't they do this two years ago uh, he was introduced in the media in 1971. Fun fact, apparently the original Grimace was called Evil Grimace, which makes me think that the Grimace we know has been the evil doppelganger this whole time. Anyway, they introduced the Grimace in 1971 to celebrate his 52nd birthday. They made a video game about him. Grimace's birthday was re- released for free by Cruel, spelled K-R-O-O. L toys as an online game you can play in your browser but the neatest thing about this online game is this isn't a flash game well not that there are any flash games anymore but this is actually a game boy color game that they released running in an emulator which means you are able to download the rom and you can play it on game boy color hardware so what i did was i downloaded the rom i flashed it onto a cartridge and i was able to play it on my game boy color however i quickly realized that my game boy color screen is is very dark i don't have a modified game boy so i instead pop the cartridge into my uh a device called the retro extension converter and it's a, a device that allows me to play game boy color and game boy games on my tv through an 
AV out, which it hooks into uh, the cartridge slot of a Super Famicom. And it's got a little AV cable that shoots out and you can plug in Game Boy games. You can play them. It's kind of like a Super Game Boy, but you can use it with Game Boy Color. But uh, Grimace's birthday is kind of a neat little thing. It is a pretty fun platforming skateboard game you play as the grimace and your job is to collect milkshakes and to do this you must skateboard through various levels avoiding obstacles while also making sure not to run out of time because you're timed on every level and uh the grimace can grind on rails or do kickflips it's kind of like a combination of the tony hawk game for the game boy with grimace uh it was a fun time i enjoyed it and uh people should check it out now for today's episode we're going to talk about a topic that uh we've kind of alluded to I think Seth made a reference that we might be talking about something red in this episode that's not Knuckles. And we're talking about Command & Conquer again. This time we're going to focus on Red Alert. But uh, many, many moons ago, in episode 34, Seth and I talked about the history of Westwood Studios and the Command & Conquer games. That's that's over 100 episodes ago. Sure is. It's almost 200 episodes ago. (laughs) Sure is. So we went over the uh, history of Westwood Studios and the Command & Conquer games, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about a kind of sub-series to the Command & Conquer games that we definitely referred to in that episode, but we didn't really go into deep detail on them. But that episode's a joy. You should go back and listen to that episode. There's also an episode. Was that the Command and Conquer episode? Or was that the Westwood episode? The episode is called Westwood and Command and Conquer. Oh, fun. We did it together. So we talked about the history of Westwood in that episode. But if you want a little recap... Westwood Studios was founded by Brett Sperry and Lewis Castle in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1985. Originally, the company was called Brelewis Software, but after two months, they became Westwood Associates. Their earliest projects were working on contracts for Epix and SSI. Typically, their jobs consisted of porting 8-bit titles to 16-bit systems, so taking Commodore 64 games and putting them on Commodore Amigos. In 1988, Westwood released their first original title, Mars Saga. This was published by Electronic Arts and was a role-play game where you played as a character named Tom Jetland, who's trapped on Mars after crashing his ship. Their next game, Battletech The Crescent Hawk's Inception was also a role-playing game based in the Battletech franchise. A sequel to this, Battletech The Crescent Hawk's Revenge, changed up the gameplay, becoming a real-time tactics game instead of an adventure-slash- role-playing game. The Crescent Hawks Revenge did fairly well for Westwood. It wasn't a major success, but they did sell pretty well, did make a make a kind of splash in the gaming world. But what became Westwood's first major success was Eye of the Beholder, published by SSI in 1991. By mid-1991, they had actually sold over 150 copies of Eye of the Beholder, which is a pretty good turnaround. In 1992, Westwood was acquired by Virgin Games and was renamed Westwood Studios. They also released possibly one of the most important video games for them, which was their real-time strategy game, Dune 2. Development of Dune 2 began when Virgin planned to cancel another Dune project, which was an adventure game developed by Cryro Interactive. Virgin Interactive's vice president, Stephen Clark Wilson, had just finished reading the book Dune and realized that it would make more sense to have a game that was focused on resource gathering rather than adventure game because he realized that really the important plot of Dune is the spice and the control over spice. At the same time, Graham Devine, an employee at Virgin, introduced his team to Herzog's Way on the Sega Genesis. Now, Herzog's Way was a 
early real-time strategy game, and it inspired the team at Virgin to create a real-time strategy game themselves. Taking this inspiration with also the inspiration of the book Dune, Virgin would go to Westwood Studios to work with them to make their game. They would also decide not to cancel Cryro Interactive's adventure game. That was released as Dune, and Westwood's game would be released as Dune 2. So while not the first RTS, Dune 2 became a major inspiration to other RTS games to come, especially those created by Blizzard Software and Ensemble Studios. It also laid the groundwork for the style of RTS games that Westwood would become best known for. In 1995, Westwood would go on to release Command and Conquer, an RTS set in an alternate history where a world war had sprung up between the Global Defense Initiative, GDI, and the Brotherhood of Nod. I think we talk about this i really like that there are like a number of different timelines in the command and conquer world and even the main core timeline is deviant from our actual timeline but there is a timeline that is the same and red alert is not that timeline (laughs) red alert is weird the main core timeline is weird but there is like generals or something that's just like actually about like the real timeline but anyway the original command and conquer was a commercial success it sold about 500,000 copies by april of 1996 and over a million copies by september work had begun in the experimental stages on another game as early as january of 1996 the story was drafted by february along with the development of the new units early development was done to get the game to run on both dos and windows 95 as well as the development of a multiplayer aspect. In June of 1996, Westwood began focusing development on creating a multiplayer environment, and they began testing versions of the game on DOS and Windows 95. By this point, they had a multiplayer capacity of about eight, and they had about 60 testers. On September 5th, Westwood announced internally that the game would be ready in 45 days, and secret information was divulged to PC Gamer on November 4th, and finally on November 22nd, 1996 command and conquer red alert was released now red alert is weird (laughs) yep and it starts off weird and proceeds to get weirder until the final game in the series which is just straight up bonkers there's fmvs that are associated with this game and the fmvs definitely help with driving the weirdness home but the story behind command and conquer red alert is that it's actually a prequel to Command and Conquer. The game is set in the 1950s in an alternative timeline that is diverging from our timeline. But the actual Command and Conquer timeline vaguely also comes from this timeline. Yeah. Where the GDI and the and the Hand of Nod and all those guys, these guys come from this timeline. And this timeline diverges from our timeline and starts the Command and Conquer timeline because Albert Einstein decides to travel back in time to stop World War II. Einstein, he develops a device and travels to 1924, where he goes and shakes hands with a young Adolf Hitler, who, by the way, just a fact that lives in my brain about Hitler, farted a lot. Not Einstein, Hitler. (laughs) Well, we don't know if Einstein farted a lot. But Hitler <laughs> definitely did. It wasn't like he had polite gas. He had nasty farts. Is that, that like a side effect rooms. from a syphilis? Because he had syphilis. No, he's he always farted his oh, entire okay. life. He, but he farted so much that, you know how he was on poison for a long time? Yeah. He was prescribed that poison for his farts. Anyway, fun facts about Hitler. Another fun fact is that when Albert Einstein shook his hand in this alternate universe, erased Hitler from the timeline. 
Herr Hitler! Ja, was ist los? Ich habe keine Zeit, hier rumzustehen. Ja, ich verstehe. Arguably making it a lot fresher of a smell. Now, with Hitler gone, there would be no Nazi Germany, and the Soviet Union would never have to go to war with Germany. So then the Soviet Union could do whatever it wanted. <laughs> and it sure did. Which allowed them to expand and conquer without actually having to deal with war. Good old Joseph Stalin, who's in control of the Soviet Union, invades both Eastern Europe and China and proceeds to spread the Soviet Union across all of Asia while also hopefully singing. Now, this game ties into the rest of Command and Conquer games by showing Kane, who is the leader of the Brotherhood of Nod, frequently making appearances, meeting with Joseph Stalin, helping him plan his attacks. I don't know if Kane's Russian, but his occupations are listed as Soviet advisor, Nod's supreme leader, and messiah. <laughs> now, the sequel, Red Alert 2, was released in 2000 and continues on with the story from the first game. By this point in the timeline, the Soviet Union has installed Alexander Romanov as a puppet premier of the country as a way of kind of preventing mass unrest from the citizens. The game takes place in the 1970s as the U.S. armed forces are caught off guard by an invasion of Soviet troops on U.S. soil. The U.S. is attacked from all fronts. Because Stalin is dead at this time, isn't he? Or is he still alive? I think he's dead, yeah. Yeah, that's why there's Alexander Romanov. Cause it, well, and he just dies because he's, he's Stalin. So yeah, he just dies of Stalin age. Yeah. yeah, he just dies just like he does in usual life. Oh, fun fact about Stalin. He had uh, his left and right arms were two different lengths because he got run over by a cart and a horse. Whoa, classic. So yes, the, uh, the U.S. is attacked from all fronts with Soviets landing on the East Coast, West Coast, and coming in through Mexico. Pretty much as all hope is apparently lost, the decision to use nuclear weapons against the Soviets is made. However, it is thwarted by a man named Yuri, who's the leader of the Soviet Psychic Corps, who is able to stop the warheads from launching out of their silos and explode using his magical psychic powers. This is where it starts, like Red Alert starts getting more weird. <laughs> yeah. You as the player control either the allied U.S. and European forces or the Soviet forces. Which I, I think you could do in the original game. You play yeah, as yeah. either Soviet or U.S. Regardless of what you who you play as, then the second one is decided that the U.S. won. In the allied campaign, you have to stop the Soviets from using a psychic device called the psychic amplifier which would give total control of the entire country to those who wield it the u.s is aided by france germany and the united kingdom on the agreement that the u.s will dismantle the nukes that are housed in poland and pointed at their countries in the soviet campaign you lead an invasion into washington dc and you also invade paris and use the eiffel tower as a tesla coil which is hilarious you also learn that yuri has been controlling premier romanov and is given control over the military if you win the campaign as the allies the ending has the allies using the chronosphere again to take a strike team to moscow and destroy the kremlin leading to the surrender of the soviets you know it'd be it would be funnier if they brought like a baby hitler back like after einstein blew up hitler they like brought another like, this time another. we will get him in the soviet storyline the commander of the soviet military who, who is you leads an attack against yuri and he is seemingly killed spoiler alert he is not killed yeah he can't take revenge if he's dead <laughs> yeah the storyline sees the soviets stopping the allies from using the chronosphere again and the soviets become rulers of the world there is also an expansion pack called red alert 2 
Yuri's Revenge, which assumes that the Allied story is canon. In Yuri's Revenge, Yuri has survived and is planning to take over the world using his mind control powers. The Allied commander goes to San Francisco to defend a time machine with the plans for allies to go back in time to prevent Yuri from creating a network of psychic dominators. Yuri is definitely one of the weirder aspects of Command and Conquer. Now, you're deployed to Los Angeles where Yuri has been converting the citizens to raw material and the Allied forces liberate the city (laughs) and then they travel to Seattle to save a parody of Bill Gates who is dis- who's shown in FMVs. Yeah, all these characters, everyone's shown as FMVs. This is like acting peak. And so this parody of Bill Gates had his company taken control by Yuri. Then Yuri captures Albert Einstein and forces him to work on a psychic dominator in Egypt near the Great Pyramid. But Einstein is freed by the Allies commando Tanya Adams, who is, I believe, lady on the cover of one of these. Yuri also plans to clone world world leaders so you have to destroy his cloning facility in australia yuri just runs amok he's all over the world and it seems like other world leaders aren't stepping up and doing their part he's 100 like a cartoon villain because they're like he's in seattle then they go to seattle and it's like he's in egypt <laughs> do you know who yuri would get around with carmen san diego that's true they both wear red yeah she would probably not be a fan of turning humans into raw material though you don't know that we don't know a lot about carmen in San Diego. We know that she's a thief and wears red, so maybe she's Yuri's wife. Anyway, in order to stop Yuri, the Allies and Soviets team up, but an Allied lieutenant ends up giving up the meeting location of the team up by mind control. Allied command then must defend the meeting location from Yuri's forces with the assistance from the Soviet Union. The lieutenant is then able to trace Yuri's mind controlling transmission to a base in Antarctica. Because when you think evil villain, you think Antarctica. And the Soviet and Allied forces go and team up together to eradicate his base. In the Soviet storyline, your team captures a time machine, but end up going back to the Crustaceous period because that's they didn't know how to use it. Um, they eventually fight, so you fight dinosaurs in a period with, during the Soviet campaign. Um, they finally travel to San Francisco during Soviet occupation. They destroy Yuri's psychic dominator and then lead a charge against the allied chronosphere. Meanwhile, in a different timeline, Yuri occupies London and the Soviets invade to destroy the psychic beacon and free the local allied military from Yuri's mind control. The Soviet premier then must need to be rescued after his plane is shot down and it's revealed that Yuri also had a device that is designed to be placed on the moon. Yuri is discovered in Transylvania where he has combined his forces with allied and Soviet forces under mind control. After defeating the army, this is when Yuri is sent back to the Crustaceous period and he's eaten by a T-Rex. Now, if you thought that was wild, let's talk about Red Alert 3. Uh, Red Alert 3 was released in 2008, and the story is even, the plot is even stranger than the ones before. Now, as the Soviet Union faces defeat, Soviet General uh, Nikolai Khrushchev and Colonel Antoly Sherdenko, who's played by Tim Curry, go back in time to 1927 Brussels to kill Albert Einstein. They then return to the present, and Sherdenko 
is now the premiere of Soviet Union. This is where the meme of like Tim Curry saying space. Commander, you've rained on my glorious parade. For this, I'm sending everything I've got at you. But I won't let you have the satisfaction of catching me. I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been dropped in my capitalism. Space! Uh, it comes from this game. Now, the Soviets are close to conquering Europe when a new third faction arises. And this is the first time that there's a third faction in the Red Alert series. And this is the Empire of the Rising Sun, or the Japanese Empire. They declare war on the Soviet Union and the Allies. With Einstein being dead and nuclear weapons were never invented, and the Soviets are unable to push the Japanese Empire back, World War III begins. Because the Japanese were never bombed in this version of the... Yeah, and game uh, they were never occupied by america they were able to develop mechs so like when everyone else is using normal conventional weapons of war for this time period which is modern-ish the japanese have mechs yeah oh in a flying fortress now in the soviet campaign it sees you playing as a soviet commander who is tasked with defending leningrad and securing technology from a satellite launch facility you lead an attack against the allied forces who have a base in geneva after they are rallied together by president ackerman played by jk simmons during the assault premier chidenko is almost assassinated and names general kurchev as the traitor and orders his commanders to kill him the soviets then lead an invasion of japan to kill emperor yoshihiro played by george takei who has a battle mech. After defeating the Emperor and his battle mech, you are ordered to Easter Island to trap the Allies. However, upon your arrival, you learn it was actually a ruse by Tredenko to defeat your army as you become pretty powerful. But you kill Tredenko in his volcano fortress and become the new premier of Russia. In the Allied campaign, as the Allied commander, you must repel Soviets from invading England. Following this, you lead an invasion of the Soviet HQ in Germany, but are left vulnerable to an attack by Japan. The Soviets and Allies team up to repel the Japanese Empire, and retake Gibraltar, destroying the Imperial Fortress, which is flying. President Ackerman, however, is annoyed about this team-up, so he orders the destruction of Moscow using a laser weapon hidden in Mount Rushmore. Which is arguably a future technology, but I would believe a laser weapon hidden in Mount Rushmore before mechs. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Now, in, in response to lasers coming out of Mount Rushmore, you attack Ackerman's forces and you kill him. From here, the Soviet-allied coalition plan to attack Tokyo, but the Soviets don't arrive for the invasion. So it's just the U.S. attacking Tokyo, and it goes pretty badly. You still win, but after the battle, a Soviet scientist named Dr. Zelensky defects, and he reveals the truth about the time machine and the changed timeline. So you travel to Cuba to investigate a secret gathering of Cherdenko's forces. After this, the commander and his forces are teleported to Leningrad, and you must defeat the Soviet leaders who try to escape to the moon, but are captured and put in cryo-prison. The vice president, who is now the president, thanks you for a job well done that's how the campaign ends it's just like the vice president who's now the president's like good job lastly in the japanese campaign because you now have this third faction you take the role of the military vassal of crown prince tatsu you're tasked with destroying monuments as emperor yashiro believes it will destroy the morale of the enemy prince tatsu however does not want to destroy monuments he wants to attack military targets and thus comes to conflict with his father the allies invade pearl harbor on the japanese islands of hawaii and japan is able to repel the invasion while also taking control of Hollywood. The Emperor learns that Zelensky defected and Cherdenko time-traveled through an android doppelganger of President Ackerman. 
Those are all words. <laughs> I know. Now, after the emperor learns this about the time travel, he gets really upset because he believed that his divine destiny was to take over the world. But he realizes that if time travel exists, there's no such thing as divine destiny. So he decides to give control of the empire to his son, who promptly invades the Kremlin and kills Premier Chidenko and General Kirchev. The empire then invades Amsterdam and destroys the Allied headquarters. Despite an attempt from Dr. Zelensky to use a prototype superweapon, the Empire remains undefeated and the Imperial Commander, you, become Supreme Shogun. I just, I love this plot so much. So the first thing I love is that all three storylines are like non-canon to each other. They're all just separate timelines basically because Trudenko dies three different times. Or like, one he dies and one he's put in prison. And Soviet, in Soviet he dies, in Allies he's prison, in Japan he dies. Nice. So he wants the Allies to win. I I, I just like that the uh, other Red Alert games are also a little silly. Yeah, but I feel like this this one takes it to such an extreme. There's so much time travel and like goofy stuff going on with like mechs and fortresses. There was actually some controversy as well. Um, with the release of the Red Alert series, not with the game itself, but with the advertising that they decided to do with it. They, in fact, took a picture of mostly world dictators and a French president from the 90s. And it just said at the top, previous high scores, and then at the bottom it said Command and Conquer, saying that these people know how to play Command and Conquer well. Of those people that know how to play Command and Conquer are Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler. And the French president of the 1990s? The issue with that is, according to their own canon, Hitler is vaporized and Stalin dies. Like, they obviously don't play that well. I just just still can't go over Jacques Chirac being there, because it's like, they literally put him next to Gaddafi. (laughs) Well, I guess they really didn't like him. Now, Command & Conquer, uh, Red Alert, made a strong entrance in the U.S. market in regards for how it did fiscally. It debuted at number two on PC Data's computer game sale charts for November of 1996, right behind Microsoft Flight Simulator. Now, to go over the how how it did financially, Command & Conquer Red Alert made a strong entrance into the U.S. market, debuting at number two on the PC Data's computer game sales chart for November of 1996, right behind number one microsoft flight simulator it would go on to uh stay in the top 10 list all through for the entire remaining year of 1996 and according to pc data the game sold 347,844 units domestically during that 1996 period generating revenues of 16.5 million dollars throughout 1997 red alert remained a top performer by the end of the first half of 1997 it ranked as the fourth best seller in the united states and the game continued to maintain a presence in the top 10 until september uh, Red Alert closed 1997 as the eighth best-selling computer title in the United States, with total sales reaching 363,207 units for that year. Impressively, the game's lifetime sales in the United States by this time had reached 869,623 copies by September 1999, with PC Data recognizing it as the 17th best-selling computer game since January of 1993. Internationally, Red Alert's success extended to Europe, where it achieved significant milestones. In August 1998, it was awarded a platinum sales status by Verdebander und Duchenhackensoftware Software Deutschland, also known as the VUD, indicating that it had sold at least 200,000 units in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland combined. And notably, in Germany alone, the game had already 
already sold 400,000 copies in 1996. But I think we've talked about this before. Germans really like RTSs. Um, on a global scale, Red Alert proved to be a commercial triumph, and it sold an impressive 1.5 million copies worldwide in its debut month, with over half of these sales coming from North America. The game's popularity continued to soar, and by mid-February 1997, it had sold close to 2 million copies worldwide. In the United States, Red Alert 2 made an even stronger debut, claiming the number one spot on PC's data computer game sales chart for October on the week of October 22nd. This marked a significant improvement over the first Red Alert, which debuted at number two. Uh, the sequel held its position in the second week and went on to become the ninth best-selling computer game for the entire month of October, according to PC Data. Uh, one notable achievement was its consistent presence in PC Data's weekly top 10 rankings from the end of October through the end of 2000, a feat not achieved by the first game. In the months that followed, Red Alert 2 continued to perform exceptionally well, securing the number one and number seven spots for the overall months of November and December, respectively. By the end of the year, the game had sold 334,400 units domestically, generating 13.2 million in revenue, and earned the title of the United States 13th best-selling computer game for 2000, another improvement compared to the first Red Alert's seventh best-selling rank in 1996. Uh, the sequel also performed well in subsequent years, ranking as the 14th best-selling computer game in the United States of 2001 with sales of 300 88,893 units and revenues of $15 million. By August of 2006, it had sold an impressive 810,000 copies and earned $26.9 million in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. market since its release in October 2000, making it the country's 11th best-selling computer game between January 2000 and August 2006. Now in Germany, Red Alert 2 was also expected to be a commercial success. It started off strong, debuting at number one on Media Control's computer game sales rankings of October 2000 and holding the top spot the following month. It received gold award from the VUD in November, indicating sales of at least 100,000 units across Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. However, when compared to its predecessor, Command & Conquer Tiberian Sun, Red Alert 2's performance in the German market fell short. There was also a noticeable drop in sales, which some attributed to growing piracy rates, affecting many blockbuster titles at the time. Tom Mayer of the German retailer PC Fun believed the game's lower demand was caused by players widespread disappointment with Tiberian Sun. And Mayer said he had to open his shop half an hour early to cope with the crowds for Tiberian Sun, while Red Alert 2 was just a sale of among many. <laughs> Nonetheless, despite not surpassing the success of the first game in Germany, Red Alert 2's overall sales performance, both in the United States and internationally, was impressive and solidified its status as a well-received and enduring installment in the Command and Conquer series. And we couldn't find, uh, definitive sales data for Red Alert 3. But we did find a quote from a guy that said it probably didn't sell well. The quote I saw that I referenced was from before Halo Wars launched, and he was talking about pre-orders. And he was like, well, Red Alert 3 didn't sell well, so maybe halo wars will sell better <laughs> now that is our command and conquer red alert episode so thank you everyone for listening we're going to get into our retro rewind seth had me play experts which was developed by abalone and published by sega in 1996 it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up and apparently a spin-off of the fighting game eternal champions which i've never played but i've heard of you play as an elite group of people called the experts x with an a the letter x perts it's bad uh it's not like terrible but i i didn't have a good time the game is slow 
the game is clunky, the controls were very annoying. For one thing, your character has like a punch and a kick that are just bad, uh, but you do have a gun. It fires kind of like a pea shooter, but it's better than nothing. However, to equip the gun, you have to use a button combination, and I'm still not exactly sure what the button combination is, because I would just mash the buttons and eventually the gun would equip. But if I press the buttons alone, the gun doesn't equip. But then I couldn't figure out how to unequip the gun, and you can't move while the gun is equipped. So that was fun. It does look nice. The graphics are all pre-rendered. They're nice big sprites. All the characters kind of look like stop motion clay people, which is just, they're just weird looking, but kind of in a fun way. Uh, I played as a guy named Zachary, which I only learned because the game has voice samples. And when I went into the pause menu, my character was being attacked and it said, Zach is being attacked. And I had a little heart attack because I thought the game knew who I was as a person. But it turned out I was just playing as a guy with my name. Spelled the same way too, which was fun. Anyway, does experts hold up? No. Next week, Seth can play Legend of the Mystical Ninja for the Super Nintendo. That sounds fun. Zach had me play Judge Dredd for the Sega Genesis, which was released back in 1995. It was developed by Probe Software and published by Acclaim. And I believe that Acclaim would go on to buy Probe Software later. Judge Dredd is broken up to missions, and sometimes you have to arrest people, and sometimes you have to blast people. Uh, it is easier to blast people than to arrest them because you have to punch them or kick them and then beat them enough to have them arrested and then um else if you just shoot them with your gun you can blast them but there's like how many people you arrest and there's like percentages it's a side-scrolling platformer and what's fun is that there's terminals placed throughout the level and it gives you updates if you need to know what you're doing for your mission like you need to blow up ammunition crates or arrest a number of people it gives you information about your health and your stats how many people you've arrested and how many people are there left to arrest or kill and there's ammunition as well uh like information about the ammunition that you have because you can change out your ammunition it's a pretty fun game it the music and the sprites kind of give me x-men 2 clone wars vibes except you're judge dread so if you're really into judge dread i recommend maybe checking this out uh maybe we'll even do an episode about the different judge dread yeah there's a bunch it's really big in england yeah it's huge and huge uh england. not so big over here no both judge dread movies that came out here uh, bombed one was really bad and one was really good which is disappointing regardless maybe we'll do an episode about judge dread but if you're interested in playing judge dread you can play judge dread on the sega genesis also released for the snes they play similar and you can go around and blast people it's fun next week zach you can play carmageddon uh originally released for the ms dos but uh it was also ported elsewhere carmageddon carmageddon yeah, it's like it's like Armageddon, but with a car. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions about Command & Conquer, you can reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers. Or if you have any memories about Command & Conquer, you can reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers. Actually, I would prefer memories because if you send us questions, it means we have to answer them. If you send us memories, that means we can just enjoy them. Now, you can email ClassicGamingBrothers at gmail.com or you can visit our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com. We are available on Facebook, Classic Gaming brothers x cg brothers pod and instagram classic gaming brothers be sure to also follow us on all the various podcasting applications out there and actually by the time this episode's up we might be on a new social media application blue sky in any case we're available everywhere check us out like us subscribe do all those things seth do you have anything to contribute don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that and...